This is Real Talk with Denver 7 and CPR News. This week, the state hopes to help those with past cannabis convictions get back on their feet. The first step you need to do is to be able to look at past indiscretions, past abuses, because if you don't look at that, you really can't go any further. But applicants are finding snags in the system. Today, we have a real talk about Colorado's social equity programs in the marijuana industry. We'll hear from those enrolled, the challenges they still face, and when improvements can be made. Welcome to Real Talk with Denver 7 and CPR News. I'm Denver 7's Micah Smith. And I'm Colorado Public Radio's Nathan Heffel. Each week in a partnership with Denver 7 and CPR, we'll have a real talk about issues impacting underrepresented people across Colorado. And this week, we're having a real talk about social equity marijuana programs. These efforts are meant to reverse the effects of cannabis criminalization that have disproportionately impacted communities of color for decades. But for those who are enrolled in these new programs, that equity can still be hard to come by. You've got a lot of repeat customers on that medical side. Michael Diaz-Rivera knows Denver like the back of his hand. Not only was he born and raised in the metro, he spends his days navigating it. I wanted to do it really for my kids to bring new opportunities. Diaz-Rivera opened his cannabis delivery business, Better Days Delivery, about two years ago. He learned that he had a unique opportunity to start that business because he qualified under a social equity program. I got a felony for weed possession at the age of 19, just being a homeless teen trying to survive. So Diaz-Rivera quit his teaching job and hit the road, partnering with two dispensaries and delivering cannabis to customers. He's learned that even though he's in business now, barriers still exist. We've seen a lot of these established businesses just refuse to partner with us. And that's just not helpful for those that are those of us that are already marginalized and we've put our all into this and they're just waiting for us to fail so that they can come in and do their own thing when we're trying to collaborate. Denver has its own social equity program and the state was trying to expand its program, but that failed this legislative session. State Rep Niketa Ricks was a prime sponsor of the bill. Three years ago, in fact, Colorado has taken $2.4 billion in revenues from marijuana and not much has been given to social equity here in Colorado. So it seems like the timing is never right and we have to make an opportunity for these social equity businesses so that they can succeed and be able to grow wealth for their families. Just raising that up that the opportunity is there, but the opportunity is never ready to go, that there is definitely more that needs to be done. Um, and just the fact that the collaboration that is needed sometimes just isn't isn't there. It's very frustrating. For some perspective on this, we spoke with Dwayne Benjamin, owner of Tetra Lounge in Denver. Thank you so much for joining us, Dwayne. Appreciate you guys for having me. Now to start things off, this is a lot more than just smoking weed indoors. This is a process. So tell us about how you got enrolled in the social equity program. Um, initially, I started my company before the social equity program existed. Um, I started Tetra Lounge in late 2017 as a private consumption lounge, um, which was not one of a kind business back then because there have been other consumption lounges in the past that were not viable to the industry. Um, so for me, social equity was a introduced to me as an established business already or private um, business already. Um, but when I joined the work groups and things 
for social equity. It definitely has a lot of potential and I believe it still has a lot of potential to help the industry and help people that were impacted by the war on drugs and just neighborhoods alone that were that have been changed by the legalization of cannabis. Say the East Side, all these places where dispensaries were housed but not owned by anyone from that direct community. Um, so I think there's still a lot of opportunity and a lot of growth potential with social equity and the partnerships with um, established businesses and just changing the cannabis industry as a whole because can, the cannabis industry as a whole is in turmoil right now. So I think establishing great partnerships and create fundamental values within um, social equity and the existing industry yeah. is essential to growth for everyone. So it, it sounds like you're on the ground floor of this. So what are some of the challenges being kind of in the beginning steps of this, having to, to, to essentially pave the way yourself? Um, for me, it was a, definitely a unique um, situation because I was operational. Um, it was just more learning for me because running a business is an ongoing educational process. And when I opened my business, it was definitely in not one of the best buildings <laughs> in Denver. But who knew when I opened that we would get this far and being able to change the industry and the community the way we have. Um, so working with the city and uh, Denver and the building department, I've learned a lot about what the requirements are to build these in a safe and enjoyable way going forward. Um, yeah just through those things. And I know some of those requirements included upgrading the ventilation system. You've put a lot of work into that. Um, now that you're toward the end of that process, what is the status of you reopening your business? Um, we're close. We'll be um, opening initially as an outdoor smoking facility um, and working our way towards getting the required ventilation system for the indoor consumption um, within before the end of this year. Um, so to get operational, we remodeled our patio area, got all the things up to code and permitted to kind of go in that direction initially. Um, since it is summertime, it won't affect our business <laughs> um, as much as it would if it was in the middle of winter. So we're looking forward to making that transition and keep working to um, you know, provide and build a business that has a longevity, not just for social equity, but for the industry as a whole. So have there been pitfalls that you've discovered that uh, maybe others can kind of sidestep as, as you move into this process? Uh, I think for me being one of the first um, and dealing with the requirements that it, from top to bottom, from, you know, consumer acquisition, business partnerships, how your business is going to run, how, how's your business going to generate revenue is going to be the most <laughs> important part of business as always. Um, but having, you know, set guidelines now. But for me, I, there was no set guidelines. It was a working progress and work in process with uh, the city yeah. to make sure we're putting something on paper that's going to be transfer transferable to the next and future applicants. We only have about a minute left, but you mentioned that you feel the state of the cannabis industry as a whole is in turmoil. Why yeah. is that? Um, I think there's a lot of different factors. The oversaturation of the market, for sure. Um, and, you know, the price drop. People got so used to 
cannabis being this odd commodity and willing to pay the prices that were put in front of them for a long time. But now cannabis has been normalized or last year people were like, oh, I can get cannabis just as easy as I can get liquor or anything at this point. And I think um, there's a lot of different ways that can transition the industry back. Sales limits are one of the big things because to have cannabis regulated like alcohol, um, it would require it to have no sales limits. You can go into a liquor store and buy a gallon of liquor, but we have so much oversaturation of product trickling through these little holes of, you know, um, distribution. So it's making everything slow down at a very accelerated rate. Yeah. All right. Well, Dwayne Benjamin, owner of Tetra Lounge, thank you so much for joining us for this Real Talk. Thank you guys for having me. The state's trying to make the marijuana industry more equitable, but there are still big challenges to tackle. We dig into the licensing process and why it's hard for some who want into the industry to get their previous convictions expunged. This is Real Talk with Denver 7 and CPR News. Welcome back to Real Talk with Denver 7 and CPR News. I'm Denver 7's Micah Smith. And I'm Colorado Public Radio's Nathan Heffel. This week, we're having a real talk about social equity programs for pot businesses across our state. Now, these programs are meant to give opportunities in the industry to people who have previous felony marijuana convictions. There are some criteria you need to know to become eligible. The first two are simple. Be a Colorado resident who has not previously owned a cannabis business. Then you must meet one of the three following criteria. Live for at least 15 years between 1980 and 2010 in an area designated as a disproportionately impacted area through census data. Have a marijuana offense yourself or have a parent, sibling, spouse, or child who has had an offense. Or your household income in a year does not exceed 50% of the state median income. To get more insight, we turn to Molly Duplachane with Denver's Department of Excise and Licenses. Molly, thanks so much for being here. Thanks for having me. So what has participation been like since you started this program? Well, we started the program uh, and we adopted the le legislation in April of 2021. We currently have 69 uh, applicants. 31 of those licenses have actually been issued to social equity licensees. The other 31 are still pending in various, various stages of the review process or inspections or somewhere in the licensing process. Now, was that what you were expecting when you launched this program, this amount, or, or how is that the numbers are looking, I guess? Yeah, I mean, it was hard to anticipate, but we knew there was interest in the program and then we knew there was really a desire from this population to, to engage in the industry and benefit from legalization. And so we're very happy with the numbers that we've been seeing. Molly, a year ago, you said you wanted to build more partnerships between cannabis businesses and transporters. How is that relationship building going with you all trying to facilitate? Yeah, it's still slow moving and a slow growth, um, but we have recently launched a new program that we hope will grow those partnerships a little bit more. It's called Cannabis Cares. Uh, it's a program that will recognize cannabis businesses that are going above and beyond in areas like uh, community engagement, sustainability, but also in social equity. So if a business partners with a social equity license, like a delivery business, um, that is one way that they can get recognized through this new program. 
And and so would the consumer know that that uh, location or that business is has that designation? Yeah, so the consumer are going to have lots of great branding and recognition out there, um, really great graphics and everything. Um, so the consumer will know, one, that the delivery business that they're working with is a social equity licensee, but they'll also be able to know that the business that they've partnered with um, also supported that social equity business. I think it's so important to mention that Denver has been a pioneer in this space, and with that, we've kind of learned as we've gone <laughs> along here. Uh, one thing that I noticed when I first moved here is Denver or Colorado's law did not have auto expungement as a part of it, which led to a few challenges. Can you talk about those challenges and how you tried to overcome them? Yeah, there was um, actually, you know, no real mention of social equity in the initial Amendment 64 language uh, that, you know, legalized marijuana here in Colorado. Um, and in fact, there was actually some language in there that prohibited people with convictions from working in the industry or getting a license within the industry. Um, and so that has now changed. That is now one of the criteria that allows you to get a license as under and be qualified as a social equity licensee. And in Denver, we have made most of our licenses exclusive to social equity licenses. So now in Denver, if you have a, a marijuana arrest or conviction on your record, you're prioritized or you're given preference and exclusivity. So is there more on this level that can be done to make this program more equitable? Absolutely. I think there's always more that can be done. I think that, you know, we've created the opportunities to get the license and get into the regulated market. Um, but there's more that we can be doing to support them and growing their businesses, making sure their business is able to thrive. Um, I still think there's a lot of financial burdens to uh, social equity licensees as they're getting their business established. Um, so that's really the next phase that we want to look to and partner with the state on. Speaking of financial burden, I know you've helped a lot when it comes to license fees, things like that. Walk us through some of the things you're trying to do to supplement some of those financial things that come along. Yeah, so in addition to exclusivity and licensing for social equity licensees, we also have reduced fees. Um, so both on renewal fees and application fees and license fees. We also provide just a lot of support and navigation. We have a really great cannabis process navigator who does pre-application meetings. So if there's a, a licensee who's looking at a location, they can meet with uh, city representatives and they can talk through any issues that typically might have to be hired out to a consultant or expensive lawyers and, and engineers. So take us six, eight, 12 months into the future. Where do you want to be and, and, and do you feel you're going to get there? I do think we can get there. I hope to see that we have more delivery businesses that are thriving. Um, I hope to see that we have some hospitality businesses that are open and again, also thriving. Um, and we're just continuing to grow the number of licensees, both in dispensaries, cultivations, all the different areas, and that we can really see these licensees benefiting from this billion dollar industry. Molly, I've reported a lot on this topic in particular under my beat. Uh, it's, when people see these stories, they're always thinking, how can I learn more? Because it does seem kind of daunting trying to get into something yeah. like this. I know in the past you've had listening sessions, things like that. How can people get started if they hear about this? Well, our website's the best place to find all of the information. So denvergov.org backslash marijuana info. And then also the Cannabis Cares Program is a really good, great place for both businesses and consumers. So if there's uh, consumers or general public out there wanting to know more of how they can help, um, that would be denvergov.org backslash cannabis cares. Molly Duplachain is the executive director of Denver's Department of Excise and Licenses. There is an organization in Colorado working to increase inclusivity in the marijuana industry. And it has its own unique way for businesses to hold themselves accountable in the process. We introduce you to the Black Cannabis Equity Initiative. This is Real Talk with Denver 7 and CPR News.
This is Real Talk with Denver 7 and CPR News. I'm Nathan Heffel. And I'm Micah Smith. This week, we're having a Real Talk about Colorado's social equity cannabis program. So far, we've heard from people enrolled in the program and about issues with making these businesses profitable. We want to turn this Real Talk over to how the marijuana industry could celebrate inclusivity more in the future. For more, we invited John Bailey to this Real Talk. He's the founder of Colorado's Black Cannabis Equity Initiative. John, thanks so much for being here. No problem. Glad to be here. So you have created the Cannabis Business Accountability Report. What is that? It sounds big. Tell me a little bit about what that is. It's not big. It's a report card. Yeah. And so what it is is an opportunity for us to then hold ourselves accountable. So those in the industry? Well, no, those in the community. Got it. Uh, And at the same time, hold those in the industry accountable by creating conversations and engagements that will allow us to look at where they are doing good, where they're doing bad, where there are opportunities to do better. And so in looking at that, we've looked at everything from C-suites to ownership to boardmanship to contributions to nonprofits to media buys with uh, Black Press uh, to making sure your staff is involved in the community. Uh, So there are a number of ways that we can be held in each other accountable uh, by doing the right thing. And so I think that what this is, is a tool uh, in the tool belt uh, as we move up and down the whole, uh, I would say the, the journey, up and down the journey for social equity, but more importantly, uh, accountability in the industry. Yeah, We're seeing more cities and states launch these social equity programs to try to plug in some of the holes when it comes to the industry. Are you seeing any shortfalls when it comes to these programs? I don't want to use the word shortfall. What I want to do is say that there are attempts to be better and to do better. Hmm. Um, there are going to be issues. Uh, being a former coach, you know, you fall down seven, you get up eight. And so what you're going to do is find opportunities to make sure that as you get up, you learn from each successive get up. And so when you, you find yourself in that eight position, then what have you learned? Uh, What can I do better? What is it that uh, seems to have been problematic? And there are a number of issues. I mentioned access to capital. Right. I mentioned uh, communication. I mentioned folks not having the business background or the acumen that will allow them to move uh, on a successful journey. And so I think that some of the stuff that Molly is doing in the city, uh, some of the stuff that others in the state are trying to do, are all moving us in the right direction. The question, more than anything else, is how do we be more and do more based on the scenario we find ourselves? And I think that being more uh, is what the city is trying to do. Do more is what the state needs to do by making more dollars available to impact social equity licensees and applicants. Because if the industry is being impacted by shortfalls, then they can't be expected, and taxes, they can't be expected then to then come up with much more uh, without losing profits themselves. So is it, is it nimbleness for the industry? H- how do you do this monumental task of moving forward without having a little bit of that? You got to swing left. You got to move right when, you're, when you think you're on the right path. Do you understand what I'm saying? Yeah. Well, there's going to be folks who don't know each other who are, are talking about sharing resources or demanding that those resources be will create a contentious environment and in business you don't want to share what you got right right. right. Uh, because they work very hard to get there 
So then if you don't want to create a contentious environment, what do you have to do? You have to bring all the stakeholders in the room mm. to talk about the real issues and concerns that are confronting the industry. And then what is the potential for support? What is the potential for partnerships? What is the potential uh, for engagement? Uh, and, and to really understand this, when you look at social equity, there's a, there's, there's a philosophical as well as a, a practical journey that one needs to take. Uh, and the first step you need to do is to be able to look at past indiscretions, past abuses, uh, because if you don't look at that, you really can't go any further. So, but if you look at that, then you can talk about, okay, then what's next? And what's next is partnerships, mm -hmm. capacity building, mm -hmm. uh, relationships. And then thirdly is sustainability, being able to do this over the long haul. And I think that's those steps of where we have some problems. But a lot of it has to do with the fact that we don't have uh, even though the industry in Colorado has some seniority amongst other states, uh, we still are dealing with young folks who have no background mm. in affirmative action or doing the right things. Uh, and so there's going to be some mistakes made. Uh, but I think having someone like myself without blowing my own horn in the environment allows folks to have a go-to guy, someone who has some experiences and expertise and is qualified to comment uh, and engage. And so I think that by having that around, that helps the industry because I'm a trusted voice. Yeah. That helps the city because I'm a trusted voice. Right. And it helps the social equity licensees and applicants because I'm a trusted voice and I look like them yeah. uh, in many cases. So part of what we have to do is to then be willing to uh, bring, again, folks together who are stakeholders and then talk about how we move the industry forward uh, from a partnership perspective and not from our individual silos that have a tendency to make us somewhat contentious towards uh, the communication and the action that's required and necessary. Got to have that coach. I love what you said yeah. about having that breadth of knowledge when it comes to the past, because a lot of times when we talk about this in the current and in the present, we don't touch on the war on drugs. We don't touch on what that did to black and brown communities. And now when we talk, when we do talk about it, we don't talk about how those very people who have those convictions are trying to enter this space that's been dominated by others. So, well, we do. Y'all may not be privy to that, but those of us who are in the industry, we have those conversations. That's why you're dealing with expungement. Mm -hmm. All right. Because someone has raised to governors around the country that they need to make sure that some of those folks for minor drug arrests need to be freed up. Uh, and then they also need to make sure their records are expunged so that it doesn't impact their housing, their job attainment, or any of those other things that come along with now being free from a red badge of courage that right. has historically kept you from being able to take advantage of the opportunities available. That was John Bailey, who founded the Black Cannabis Equity Initiative. And that's this week's episode of Real Talk with Denver 7 and CPR News. Every week, we'll be having a real talk on issues that impact Coloradans who are often overlooked. And you can find all of our shows on denver7.com slash realtalk or at cpr.org slash realtalk. Have a great day.